Okay, everybody, uh, we are now going to transition into part four of our series on the study of the book of Philippians. And if you are new with us, uh, or if you're new to the Bible, um, let me just explain Philippians a little bit to you. It's actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul around 61 AD. And, and Paul wrote this letter to a church that he started in the ancient city of Philippi. And Philippi was a part of the Roman Empire, and it was kind of an up-and-coming community. It was filled with political leaders and military leaders, and Paul and Silas went on a missionary journey there, and they were trying to lead people to Jesus and start a new church, and so they did, and they moved on from that and started other churches and other communities, and then Paul ended up in prison, and he received regular support and encouragement from this church in Philippi, so he writes them a letter of encouragement. And what I've been saying all throughout this series is I want us to pretend that we are that church. Let's pretend together that we are the church of Philippi. We're the only church in the southeastern part of the United States. And Paul has led us to Jesus. He's formed us as a church. And then he writes us a letter of encouragement. Just think, like we don't have access to all the stuff that we have access to right now for learning the Bible and studying the Bible deeply. And so they would have eagerly looked for a letter from Paul to help them grow in their new relationship with God. And so let's just kind of put ourselves in that spot and remind ourselves some of the things that Paul has taught us so far. So here's some of the things that Paul's already taught us. So first he taught us that God is the one who started the good work within us and he's the one that will finish that work. That truth helps me so much on days where I don't feel like I'm really growing to be more like Jesus. There are days I'm a jerk. There are days I just don't do the stuff I need to do. And I get discouraged about my progression and my relationship with God. And then Paul reminds me, hey, when God starts a good work in you, God will finish that work. We just got to let him do the work. Another thing that we've learned, and this is kind of our big thought that we keep coming back to in this series is this. Our current circumstances aren't as important as how we respond to those circumstances. And the reason that is so important, Paul said, was because how we respond just might lead someone to Jesus. Or it might help someone grow their faith in Jesus. So our response is more important than the stuff that's happening around us. And I think right now that is very applicable for us in the world that we're living in. Another thing we learned was this. In order to live for God, we must learn to live with God. So to live for God, we've got to learn to live with God. That means we really have to apply the scriptural truth that says, Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So if you're a Christ follower, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The scripture also te teaches that Jesus lives inside of us. He is a ready, readily available resource to all of us. And we have to tap into those resources. And the problem is many times we don't. Many times we think uh, we'll, we'll check in with God on Sunday, or we'll meet him when we open our Bibles, if we're going to read at any time during the day, and then we'll go throughout our day and we'll check back in with God later. But God is always there, always with us. There's no challenge you can face, no temptation you can face. There's no difficult situation that you can face that God's not there as a readily available resource to help you navigate that stuff. We have to tap in to him as that resource. Another thing we learned is our Christian responsibilities are more important than our rights, and we should leverage our rights to fulfill our responsibilities. Then two weeks ago, we learned this. 
We learned we must have the same attitude that Jesus had and humbly serve others the way that Jesus humbly served us. And I gave you a really big homework assignment. It was the the big task of serving someone who's hard for you to serve, serving someone who's difficult for you to love. And so that was the challenge. And uh, if you didn't notice, Hurricane Isaias gave all of us an extra week to do our homework. So I'm curious, how many of you found yourself humbly serving someone over the past two weeks that was, that was really hard to serve? Anybody find yourself doing that? All right, there's three of us that did that. Great. All right, the rest of you, you still have a homework assignment out there. And I'm curious to hear from anybody that raised your hand. What was that like for you? What was it like to do that? And don't give details, like especially if the person sitting next to you is the person you were humbly serving. Like don't, don't give details like that. But what was it like for you to focus on Jesus' attitude? Anybody? Eye-opening. Eye-opening. Sorry, I got to open up my eyes so I don't kick my water bottle. So it was eye-opening for you. Why was it eye-opening? Because it made me realize what habits I have and how I respond or how I react and respond. Okay. So you noticed your reactions instead of your responses. That's awesome. Great. Anybody else? Humbling. Humbling. Why was it humbling? In uh, allowing Jesus to work through us, it changes the circumstances. I mean, showing Jesus' power that we need to uh, follow. That's great. It, so... Absolutely, having Christ's attitude can be very humbling. For me, I had a couple opportunities to, to serve some folks that were challenging, and I found myself quoting Philippians 2.5 over and over and over again. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus has. And I was saying that out loud to the other person, hoping that they would pick it up and they would have the attitude that Christ Jesus has. I'm just kidding. I, I didn't say it out loud. I was just saying it to myself over and over again. But I did find as I was doing that, my humility was growing, and I was recognizing my responses. I was responding, not reacting. And, you know, when you're serving somebody that's hard to serve, sometimes we can react even before the person ever says anything. You know, you find yourself just wanting to react because that person pushes your buttons. Uh, And yet Paul's challenging us to have Christ's attitude in every interaction and humbly serve people the way that Christ serves us. So way to go on the homework assignment. Today, we are going to start in uh, chapter 2, verse 12. And this is what the Apostle Paul says here to his friends. He says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important. And I think that statement there, that sentence, is so important to hold on to because there are moments where we've got somebody that's an encouragement in our lives. We're in their presence. They're modeling for us what it means to live like Jesus. And, and uh, you know, when we're around them, it's just somehow easier to live like Jesus. But when they're gone, sometimes it gets harder. Sometimes it gets more challenging. Sometimes we start to forget what we're supposed to be doing. So Paul says, hey, I was with you and you were doing what we should be doing to follow Jesus. That's great. But when I'm gone, it's even more important. And then he says, so work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you. Again, that reminder, God's the one that started the work. God's going to keep working in you. He's the one working in you, giving you the desires and the power to do what pleases him. So today we're going to start by exploring what it means to work hard to show the results of our salvation. 
There's some Bible translations that translate that sentence by saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That statement has created a lot of confusion in the Christian world. There are a lot of people that are not really sure what that means. What does it mean to work out your salvation, especially with fear and trembling? To understand this, we're going to start by defining what salvation means. So that's a, that's a word we don't use a whole lot. Uh, it, we see it in a biblical context. We just don't use it in that way often. But the word salvation simply defined means this. It means being saved from hell and for heaven. Being saved from hell and for heaven. The Bible actually teaches that we are all going to live forever somewhere. We're all going to live forever. We're all either going to live forever in a real place called heaven with God, or we're going to live forever in a real place called hell apart from God. And so biblically biblically speaking, eternally speaking, we all need to be saved. Again, saved from hell and to be saved for heaven. Now, back in Paul's day, there was a big debate about where salvation came from, specifically who salvation came from. For much of the Roman Empire, as they were going around conquering much of the, the known world at that time, most of the Roman citizens would have said that salvation comes from Caesar, specifically Julius Caesar. Now, most of us know that he died. He was murdered, uh, and, and that's how he died. But after his murder... Roman officials actually deified him. Like they made a declaration. He's now in heaven as a God. And guess what title they gave his adopted son, Caesar Augustus, who led after him? The son of God. So they said, this is the son of God. He is the savior. So uh, if you know anything about Jesus, you would probably know that's one of his titles. One of Jesus' titles is the son of God the savior of the world. So as Paul stepped into this Roman empire and he's trying to lead people to Jesus, he had a battle in front of him. Most people are believing that Caesar is savior. And Paul comes along and says, no, he's not. He's not savior. Jesus is savior. Caesar's going to die. And that will be the end of Caesar. Jesus died, but he rose again. He defeated the curse of sin and death that we brought into the world. And you have to have a personal relationship with him to truly be saved for all of eternity. So that was Paul's message to the Philippians. And this morning, I'm wondering for us, who are you putting your hope in for salvation? Who or what are you putting your hope in for salvation? Are you putting your hope in maybe your bank account? Are you putting your hope in your intellect, your career, um, your ability to uh, protect yourself from uh, the crazy things that are happening around you? Who who and, and what are you putting your hope in? If your hope is in anything but Jesus, you're going to be eternally disappointed. We have to put our hope and trust in Jesus and what he's done on the cross for us. John 3.16 says this, most famous Bible verse of all times. It says, this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who, what's that next word? Everyone who believes. It's not everyone who works really hard. 
It's not everyone who behaves and follows all the right religious rules. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, it's not enough for us to just believe that Jesus was a real historical figure like believing that Caesar was a real historical figure. We must believe that Jesus was God in the flesh. And he came to take our place on the cross, to pay our sin debt and die so that we can have eternal life and that he rose again. That's what we need to believe about him. Romans 3.25 says this, people are made right with God when they, what's that next word? When they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. So if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then, biblically speaking, you are saved. But there are some Christ followers today who believe that we have to work for our salvation. Uh, They believe that if you're not living a good enough life, you can lose your salvation. You can lose it, and you have to get it again. But listen to what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says. It says, God saved you by his grace when you, what's that next word? Believed. Believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward. It's not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. We cannot work for our salvation. It's a gift. It's a gift that God gives us because of our belief in what Jesus has done for us, not because we've earned anything from him. We've got to remember that and stay focused on that. Now, there are other Christ followers that go to another extreme and try to take advantage of that truth. And they think that because they have the golden ticket, meaning they've put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they can live any way they want. They can live like the devil because they've got the golden ticket. God's got to let them into heaven uh, when they die because they put their faith in Jesus. Now, that is some really thin ice to skate on. And I don't think any of us are ever going to want to stare into the eyes of a holy God when we stand in his presence for all of eternity and give an account for our lives and the decisions that we've made. I don't think any of us are going to want to confidently stand on that and say, I can live any way I want. We shouldn't be living any way we want. So what does it mean to work out our salvation? What does it mean for us today to apply that to our lives? I really like how the New Living Translation translates that when it says work hard to show the results of your salvation. So we should live in response to the salvation that we have, the free gift that God gives us when we believe and what Jesus has done for us. So we should live in response to that. And I want you to listen to what James, the brother of Jesus, said about that. Now, let me pull back for just a second and talk about how significant it is for James to speak on Jesus' behalf. So if any, anybody have a, a sibling, anybody have a brother? If your brother said they were the savior of the world, would you believe them? I certainly wouldn't. I have an older brother. I have an older sister. Like, Yeah, right. Like, I know you. I was with you when we grew up. But James came to the point where he said, you know what? Jesus is the savior of the world. Listen to what James said. James 2, verse 17, he said, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. 
It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, but others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Now, that may sound a little confusing, but it doesn't need to be confusing. James is not saying that we're earning anything. He's echoing what Paul's saying, that we live in response to the free gift that we are given. And if we really have that gift of salvation, our lives will show it. We'll see it somewhere. It doesn't mean we'll be perfect. It just means it'll show up in our lives. When we mess up, we'll fix it. We'll make it right. We'll keep taking a step every day towards becoming more and more like Jesus. So that's what it means, I think, for us to live in response to salvation, the gift that we've been given. Another question I have for you this morning is, are you saved? Are you saved? And how do you know that? If you were to stand before God today and have him say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If your answer has anything to do with the life that you've lived, how good of a person you've been, how much you've tried to help other people, you've missed the whole thing. You've missed the whole point. If your answer has anything to do with putting your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior because of what he has done on the cross, you understand it. You understand it. You understand what salvation means and how we should live for him. Now, if you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. Like today, right now, could be your moment uh, here on campus or watching online. You could do that right now. And what we, what we do is it's a declaration where we say, I know I need a Savior. I believe, Jesus, you are that Savior. You died so I can live, and I'm putting my faith in you. And so I ask you to come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior. When we make that decision, when we make that declaration, God adopts us into his family. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and he teaches us how to live in response to God's amazing gift of salvation. Again, that doesn't mean we're gonna be perfect after that moment. It just means when we mess up, we fix it. When we fall down, we get up again. We learn to live more like Jesus every day of our lives. I want to encourage you this morning, if you have questions about that, about what it means to put your faith in Jesus and how to have a real relationship with him, I encourage you to stop me after the service, stop by our care center before you leave on your way out on your left-hand side, there's a care table. We've got some amazing people there who would love to talk with you, pray with you, help you in any way that we possibly can, especially if you've got questions about salvation. If you've got questions online, just reach out to us online. We've got somebody that would love to talk to you about that. Now, I hope that nobody wore sandals today uh, or open-toed shoes uh, because Paul is about to step on our toes, okay? So we're going to transition into verse 14. Listen to what Paul says in verse 14 after talking about salvation, how to have that. He says this, do everything without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Now, when we look around our world today, it seems like complaining and arguing are some of our favorite hobbies, isn't it? I mean, it seems like we just love to do that. And maybe it's because we don't have enough sports to watch. 
so we, we make complaining and arguing a new sport that we engage and we love it. We love to complain. We love to argue about everything. We do that at home. We do that at school. We do that at work. We do that on social media. And today I think Paul's asking us, do you complain? And do you argue on a regular basis? If you do, that's hurting the cause of Christ. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now, I want to remind us what Paul went through and how he shined brightly through all that stuff. So you remember in this series, we've learned that Paul was whipped, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was shipwrecked, he was unjustly arrested and lived under constant threat of death. Can you imagine going through all that stuff without complaining? I can't. There's stuff that I complain about. I think Paul uh, would laugh at me over. So you really, you're complaining about that? Like, look at all I've been through and you're complaining about what you're complaining about? You want to argue about that stuff? Paul didn't complain. Paul didn't argue. Not only did he not do those things in chapter one, he told us all that stuff was good. He said, listen, all that stuff that I went through was good. Why? Because more people met Jesus because of his response and he helped people grow their faith in Jesus. So when Christ followers, when we, if you're a Christ follower, when we go out into our world and when we don't complain and when we don't argue with other people, Paul says, that's like shining brightly in a dark world that desperately needs to see Jesus. And if you question that, if you're like, really, come on, well, like not complaining, not arguing, really be that big of a deal. I'm going to give you a homework assignment in just a minute to test it out for a week and see what it's like. And I want you to see what kind of responses might happen from people around you. Maybe people at home, maybe people at work, maybe people at school, maybe even people on social media. If you don't complain, if you don't argue at all, all week long, I think you'll stand out. I think people will notice there's something different about you. They may not like that difference. They may want you to join in again with the arguing and complaining because it helps them to do that more and feel more justified in what they're doing. But I think you'll stand out. I think it's one of the things, and it's a small thing that will help us shine brightly. So uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. If you're a Christ follower, you're the light of the world. We're supposed to reflect Jesus to the world. And Jesus says, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. With all the crazy stuff that's going on in our world right now, don't you think our world needs a little more light? Well, guess where that light comes from? from us. Again, reflecting the light of Jesus in our lives and reflecting that out to people around us. So I challenge you this week, don't complain. Don't argue about anything. I know it's going to be hard. You, you might wonder, well, what am I going to say all week long? 
Here's another challenge for you. I challenge you not to just keep your mouth shut all week long. Because uh, you've probably figured out in your life, you can complain and argue non-verbally. You can do it in your body without ever opening your mouth. And if you're married, your spouse will remind you of that. Okay? So instead of refraining from saying anything and looking like you know, there's, you've got some medical issue going on because you're holding it all in, you're going to explode, turn it around and learn to speak words of life to others who desperately need words of life. Take a look at this. Those are some powerful, practical ways that we can not only refrain from complaining and arguing, but speak life to people around us. Again, I think Paul would say that's like shining brightly in a world that desperately needs to see, desperately needs to hear those things. Verse 16, Paul continues. He tells us what's going to help us shine brightly. He says, hold firmly to the word of life. The word of life is a reference to the Bible. Listen to what Paul said about the Bible in 2 Timothy 3.16. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. So for us to shine more brightly for Jesus, we've got to become lifelong students of God's written word. That's what helps us transform our lives and shine brightly in a world that desperately needs to see Jesus. But we struggle with that. I struggle with that. There are moments that we hold more tightly to our opinions than we do holding tightly to God's word. Just think about maybe your reactions to some of the things that are going on in our world right now. Maybe you've shot off some emails or shot off some texts to people, shot off something on social media, had a response when somebody brought up a hot topic that that really kind of gets under your skin. You find out, I think sometimes we hold more tightly to our opinions than the word of life that can transform people's lives. Here's the deal. Our opinions won't change anybody for eternity. Only God's word will do that. So what are you holding more tightly to? And are we checking our opinions against God's truth? We should be as Christ followers. Before we send that email, before we blurt that thing out, we should pause and say, I wonder what God has to say about this. If you think about many of the things that we're wrestling with right now in our world, the Bible has an answer for it. The Bible has a solution The Bible offers things that we should apply in these situations that are difficult and complex and hard to figure out, but we've got to be in God's word reading it so that we can apply it. So are you reading it? If you're a Christ follower, are you reading God's word? Are you spending time in it regularly? Are you applying it to your life? Are you checking your opinions against it? It can still teach us. I hope that what you're seeing in this series as we look at this book that was written almost 2,000 years ago, that it's still applicable today, that it's still applicable to our lives today, just as it was when Paul first wrote it. 
So we've got to be in it. We've got to be applying it to our lives. And if you're a Christ follower, sometimes it's easy to drift from that. Sometimes we think, you know, I, like, I've learned a lot. Like, I've got a lot of head, head knowledge. Um, and yet, if we don't stay in the word, then it can't trickle into heart knowledge and transform this thing. It's got to transform our hearts because that's what transforms our lives. If you're new to the Bible, I understand that the Bible can be complex and overwhelming. And where do you begin? So a simple way to begin is just start reading Philippians. We're reading Philippians together through this series. Uh, We're in chapter two still. Next week, we'll be in chapter three. So if you just pick up a Bible, we've got Bibles at the back of each seating section as a free gift to you. If you need an online version, if you want something on your phone or on your computer, download the YouVersion Bible app. And I recommend the New Living Translation because of its reader friendliness. So that'd be a great way to just get started. Just start reading Philippians with us and applying the stuff that we're learning together. Paul continues in verse 16. He says, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Verse 17, he says, but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. The reality is Paul would lose his life for Christ. He would sacrifice his life. I mean, everything that he focused his life on was helping people meet Jesus for all of eternity. And he gave his life for that. Paul, in that statement, he takes us back to kind of his motto for life is to live as Christ. To die is gain. So it doesn't matter what happens to me. If I live, I'm going to point people to Jesus. If I die, I get to go be with Jesus. So it's a win-win. That's the perspective we all should have as Christ followers. No matter what we face in this world, no matter what persecution we face, no matter what happens around us, we should be focused on living for Christ. And if we die, it's even better. Hopefully, We have that attitude. If we don't, we need to learn how to develop that attitude. And what's going to help us with that? Holding tightly to the word of faith. Holding tightly to the word of life. Applying that to our lives. Understanding where salvation comes from. Comes from Jesus and what he has done. And understanding we need to live in response to that. Again, we're not living perfect lives. We're just living in response, showing the results of our salvation, what God has done for us. So as we close, I encourage you just to process that for a moment. And um, we're not going to close with a song uh, in this service. uh, But as I pray, I just encourage you to just be processing. Do you have salvation? Have you responded to God's free gift by putting your faith and trust in Jesus? If you haven't, you can do that now. If you haven't been living the way that you should, you can change that. You can change that now. Remember, this week's homework assignment, don't complain. Don't argue. If you fail in the parking lot, start over, okay? Anytime you fail, start over. Maybe put a dollar in a jar and you can save enough money for your kid's college account or something. I'm not sure. But stay focused on shining brightly this week in the practical application, not complaining and not arguing. So let's pray. Lord, again, uh, as I pray almost every week, I'm just grateful for your written word and how it can transform our lives. It, it gives us the guide for life. 
And we're learning from a letter that was written almost 2,000 years ago that it's still applicable today. And Lord, as, as we learn today, we have to understand what salvation means and who it comes from. Caesar is not our savior. Jesus, you are our savior. And Lord, I pray for anybody this morning that's wrestling with that, trying to figure out like what that means and how to apply that to, to their lives. I pray that they'll get answers for the questions they have. I pray that they'll ask those questions so they can get those answers. And yet, God, I know there's some other folks that they're at that spot of decision. They know they need to make that decision, put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. I pray that today they'll do that and get the help that they need in making that step. Lord, for all of us, whether we're Christ followers or not, we can certainly benefit and make our world a better place when we shine brightly on Jesus' behalf when we work hard to not complain and not argue, instead of doing those things when we speak words of life to other people, we can make the world a better place when we focus on doing that. So Lord, help us to focus on that this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here, everybody. Have a great week. Good luck with your homework assignment.